The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. tonight is to have Pastor Dr. John McCray with us and his wife, Signe. I saw her somewhere here. They've just returned this year from five years of service in Australia, lifting high the cross in an area where the church is, is relatively weak. They've been ministering uh, with Westminster Presbyterian Church and the whole presbytery in the Perth area, which is one of the cities of Australia, if you know your geography. And uh, recently they're back and seeking God's will for uh, further ministry opportunities. John served as a pastor in our presbytery for decades, and so he's well known among us and a, a good friend of many of us. And so, John, come and minister God's word to us. Glad to have you. I was asked just to say a word or two about Australia. Australia, uh, sadly, is uh, not like Colombia, it's more a post Christian country. Uh, Most of the Australians are uh, quite hostile to Christianity and to the gospel. Uh, They're very secular. Uh, Their religion is sports, and they do not want to be bothered with anything religious or Christian. Uh, Our churches are growing not by reaching Australians, but there is a huge influx of people from all over the world, And many of them are open to the gospel, people from communist China and Vietnam and India. And so the churches are growing uh, through conversion of of Asians and others, but not really from Australians. Uh, Many of the aboriginals have been Christianized and can explain the essentials of Christianity to you, but it has not changed their culture, not changed their way of life, not ended significant sin patterns. And that is a real frustration and massive challenge. I'll just give you three, two quick stories and one a little bit longer. Uh, We had a Turkish couple come and uh, the the, uh, woman wanted to become a Christian. She was done with Islam Uh, The man she was living with was a nominal, largely secular Muslim, but uh, he was happy to make her happy to get her connected with Christians. He was working in a cafe and finally guessed that a uh, regular was a Christian. He went up to him and said, are you a Christian? The man said, yes. And he said, well, the woman I'm living with wants to become a Christian. Would you tell her how? And so that fellow uh, did meet with them and shared the gospel, connected her with an elder in our church who ultimately connected her with Signe and me. We went to their place, and it was very interesting trying to explain the gospel to her. She had very limited English at that point, so the man she's living with is translating for us, but he really doesn't care (laughs) about Christianity and doesn't know anything about it at all. 
She said to us at one point, I want to read the whole Bible from the first page to the last in the original English. And that was her concept of Christianity. It's a Western religion, not what it really is an Eastern religion. Anyway, ultimately she made a profession of faith. He has not. We have tried to reach him for five years and not really made any progress. Uh, but uh, uh, as a pastor, I prayed for everybody in the church every week. And there was a, a woman who came occasionally who was an Aboriginal woman. She's a member of the church. She's a believer. Her husband never, ever came. He was unsaved, uninterested. But uh, his name was in our directory. And so for five years, I prayed that God would save him. I never had met him. And then one day I got an email from David Cross in Carlisle saying that this woman had emailed him to say that her husband had put his faith and trust in Christ. And so I went to the hospital and introduced myself and met him, and uh, he really had been born again, uh, but needed lots of discipleship and follow-up. And so I met with uh, two of them weekly for the next six months to try to ground him in the things of Christ. And that was an exciting thing to be in an Aboriginal home and to work with an Aboriginal couple in that way. Uh, we had a lady in our church who had been severely emotionally abused by her family and lots of others. And uh, in response uh, to all of that, she had sought comfort in food and so had really um, hurt herself badly. And everybody in the church is scratching their head and praying for her and saying, what can be done? And none of us are doing anything. And so my wife contacted her and said, would you come to my house for a Bible study? And the lady said, I'd love to. And she did. And Signe began working with her and uh, helping her to find comfort in the Lord rather than in food and then began going to her house uh, one day, one afternoon a week, Bible study at our house, and then another day a week she went to that lady's house because the woman was just um, physically not able to do much and overwhelmed with the condition of her house. And Signe said, you just sit there and tell me, throw this out, keep this, put this where. Went through her closets and uh, practically showed the love of Christ to this woman and gave her encouragement and hope. And then the time came when Signe was coming back here to be with our grandchildren for a month. And so she uh, wondered who would be two good ladies in the church to continue this ministry while she was gone for the month. And so she uh, picked this lady's best friend in the church and then uh, said to her, who would be good? And she said, well, I think Fiona would connect with her. She would be a good one. And so Signe called Fiona, and Fiona was very happy to do that. And so while Signe was back here, why uh, those two ladies continued working with this lady and uh, blessing. When Signe returned, she connected back in the group. The group started to try and help this lady. In the mercies of God, each of the ladies in there was significantly helped with deep-seated issues in their lives. And they all, it just was a, one of the most marvelous experiences of practical Christianity and genuine fellowship that I've heard of. 
and they were so excited about the difference God was making in their lives that they asked to share it with the whole church. Uh, but here's the kicker in the whole thing. Uh, this Fiona was saying to herself, I don't know why I'm in this group. I really didn't know this lady, and I wasn't really connected to her. Why am I in this group? And in the middle of one night, she suddenly came awake and said, I'm the wrong Fiona. We had two Fionas in our church, and uh, Marie had recommended this Fiona, and Signe called that Fiona. (laughs) And it was a mistake, but that Fiona was significantly helped in her walk with God with deep issues that nobody in the church knew anything about. And it, God is sovereign, and God is good, and uh, he is, he's just a marvelous person, just wonderful. Australia needs your prayers. Thank you so much for giving for us to be able to be there and for praying for us. It's only through the prayers of God's people anything good takes place, and we appreciate that very, very much. Thank you to the Great Commission Committee over these five years. I want to read from Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Well, this is a familiar passage, and I'm not going to look at the whole passage with you, but just the first temptation and the response of the Lord Jesus in particular. This is the second saying of our Lord Jesus as recorded by Matthew the Evangelist. Uh, When Jesus was ordained as the Messiah by John the Baptist, immediately the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness in order to be tempted. He was tempted over a period of 40 days. During that time, he fasted. Now, I have never fasted for 40 days, and I don't expect to, uh, but I have known uh, one or two people who have. And what they've told me is that uh, if you uh, fast for a long, long period of time, for the first week you feel all sorts of hunger pains, but after the first week you don't feel any more hunger pains. 
Uh, it takes about a week for most of our stomachs to shrink down to where they ought to be. And uh, then you live off the fat of the land for the rest of the period. Uh, but then when you feel hunger pains again, your body is telling you, okay, we've used up what you stored up. Uh, and now if you continue to fast, you're going to do damage to your body. And so it is vital physically for you to eat. Now it says Jesus fasted 40 days and then he was hungry. And that would indicate that it was time for him. If he didn't eat now, he is going to hurt his body. And so he must eat. It's not just, uh, let's stop for donuts on the way home tonight. It's, a, it's an essential for his life. Well, at that moment, Satan comes and gives him three, not the only temptations, but three ultimate temptations, climactic temptations, to try and get Jesus to sin, to destroy the Messiah at the very beginning of his work. Now, a temptation means someone's trying to get you to sin, to do that which calls for you to be separated from God and everything good throughout all eternity. Now, as I think about this first temptation, Satan says, if you're the Son of God, and I'm not going to argue with you, I, I know you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What is the sin that Satan is trying to get him to do? Well, I think there are at least two sins that Satan is trying to get Jesus to commit. One of those is to misuse his divine power in order to meet legitimate human needs. Jesus had a legitimate human need of food, of bread. But if Jesus uses his divine power to meet his human needs, he's no example to us. That doesn't help us at all. Jesus came first and foremost in order to live a perfect life for us and to die a perfect death and to rise again. But he also came to show us how God wants us to live, to show us that we can live in victory in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus misused his divine power, that would undercut God's plan and it, it, it would be sin. It would be wrong. But the second thing is, I think Satan is trying to get Jesus to live as if the thing that really counts in his life is taking care of his physical being. Now, do you know anybody who's living overtly, simply caring about his physical being? Oh, yes. Multitudes of people in our society are living as if all there is is this life. And all there is is human earthly present pleasures. And we can't just point the finger at them or throw stones at them because we all at times slip into that very sin. Jesus did not sin. He resisted the devil's temptation. He stayed loyal and faithful to that which is good and righteous and to his heavenly Father's will. Now that's wonderful, and we depend upon that for our salvation. But I want you to notice what it is that Jesus cites 
to enable him to stay true to the Father and to that which is righteous. When the devil tempts him to misuse his divine power to meet legitimate human need, Jesus responds, verse 4, it is written. In other words, the Bible says, the Scripture teaches. And then you notice it's a quotation. Now, hopefully in your Bible, there's a little note there that takes you to the bottom of the page, and it tells you that Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3. Do you see that there? That's a very helpful thing. Jesus says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. Yes, we do have to have bread. Now, relax, folks. In most of the history of the world, people have not had all the food that you and I have. They just haven't had cheesecake and turkey hill iced tea. And they, it's just not what's held body and soul together was bread. They, they've lived on bread, three meals a day. Now, now, Jesus says, the Bible says, man does not live on bread alone. Yes, we must take care of our bodies. We need to exercise. We need to eat healthy food. But we need more than taking care of the physical. Instead, humans live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, in the Greek New Testament, there are two Greek words that we translate word. One of those is logos, which you've probably heard, which is used of Jesus in John chapter 1. That's the more common word, and that is not the word that Jesus uses here. This is a less common word, and it is more focused on the spoken word, that which comes out of the mouth. Man, humans, live by that which issues from the very mouth of God. That's what Jesus says. Now, the first principle I see here then is that the most important part of us as humans is the spirit, the soul, the non-physical part of us. The physical part is real. The physical part is important, but it's not the most important the most important part is the non-material part of you or me. That is what Jesus is saying here. Now, as I noted with you, Jesus quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's actually a quote from Moses. If you turn back there, and I'll just read it for you, why Moses says, the Lord your God, speaking to the Israelites, the Lord your God humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, sadly, today there are even people who claim to be Christians that talk about God as if he's our genie in the sky and his whole role is to make you and me happy and healthy and, 
and uh, everything to go smoothly in our lives. And those people need to read their Bibles. Uh, They need to look at the Bible and what it reveals about the God who really is there. He loves us dearly, but not to the point where he would spoil us and destroy us, but to where he is working for your and my present and eternal best. And so Moses says to the children of Israel, when you were in the wilderness, the Lord intentionally caused you to hunger. I know people who think they're Christians who would say, my God would never treat me that way. He wouldn't do anything that would make me hurt, that would make me unpleasant. My God, I had a woman I met with for years trying to lead her to the Lord in Australia, and she, she, she would say, I will not have a God like that. I said, well, what matters is not what you'll have or not have. What matters is who he really is. And what does he say about himself? That's what matters. Our God often brings us through troubles, challenges, even disasters, because he loves us. And he knows there's something we have not gotten a handle on yet that is hurting us and hurting those around us, and we need to learn it. And so Moses says, God intentionally made you hungry. There weren't any McDonald's in the wilderness, no Burger Kings, and the people were hungry. And Moses says, God made you that hungry in order to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our God is indeed sovereign and good. Now, you know the story back in Exodus 16. The people were hungry. They're complaining against Moses and against God. And God says, tomorrow you'll have bread. And the next day they wake up and the ground is covered with this white stuff. And they say, what is it? And Moses says, that's a good name. Let's call it that. In Hebrew, what is it is manna. Manna. And you just go out six days a week and gather it up, and you can bake it, you can boil it, you can fry it, you can sprinkle cinnamon and sugar on it. And you can eat it in all sorts of different ways, and it sustains body and soul. And it did for 40 years. They had free bread for 40 years. Now, you had to deal with it the way God told you to deal with it. You get it every day. You don't keep it overnight. It goes bad overnight, except for the Sabbath, where there isn't any on the ground, because God has given you twice as much the day before, and it keeps over that one night each week. Our God ordering things together to teach his covenant people, including me and you, that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The most important part of us is the Spirit. Paul writes, physical training is of some value, 
But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Jesus said, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus had predicted his death and Peter said, no, no, Jesus, that'll never happen to you. Jesus rebukes him and then he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Dear friends, do you value your soul more than your body? Do you spend as much time and effort taking care of your soul and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus as you do exercising and making sure your physical body is well cared for? Well, we must because Jesus says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, the second thing I want you to see here is that we need God's Word more than anything. Jesus answered, Man does not live or shall not live by bread alone, but on or by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You remember the creation story in the book of Genesis. In chapter 1, nine times it says, And God said, Let there be, and there was. And God said, Let there be, and it was. And God said, Let the earth do this, and the earth did that. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, it is creative, it is life. It is essential. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That word command is the same Greek word that Jesus uses when he quotes from Deuteronomy 8. The universe was formed at God's word, his spoken word, so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. He also says the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Peter writes, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. We were born again by the Word of God. You remember that wonderful story in Ezekiel where God takes Ezekiel in a vision out to this valley with all these dry bones? And God says, Ezekiel, can those bones live? Well, Ezekiel's hung around God long enough that he knows the right answer. He says, I don't really think so, but you know, Lord. <laughs> You know, whatever you say. And God says, preach to the bones. You want to feel like a fool preaching to dry bones? Okay. Prophesy to the bones. 
And so Ezekiel obeys, and he speaks to the bones, and all of a sudden the bones start moving. All of a sudden they come together. All of a sudden there are organs. All of a sudden there are muscles and sinews and skin, and they stand up a great army. It's a prophecy about Israel that's been destroyed by the Babylonians, but I think it's just a marvelous picture of our salvation. We were dead in transgressions and sins. And it wasn't that we made a decision. It wasn't that we had clever insights. Yeah, we did make a decision, but that's not the key. We made a decision because God spoke. The Holy Spirit called us. He spoke to the dry bones of unsaved people. And we came to life. There was a man who rented the house next door to our church. He thought he was a Christian, but he never looked at the Bible and didn't really know what Christianity was about. But he heard us singing God's praises on Sunday mornings, and it attracted him. And he came to our church, and people welcomed him and greeted him. And he began coming week after week, but he knew absolutely nothing. And so I said, hey, Norm, let's have a Bible study together, and let's see what God says. And he said, that'd be great, but I, I drive bus 10, 12 hours a day. I just never have time to come to any of the Bible studies. I said, that's okay. I'm a pastor. I only work one hour a week. I've got all the time in the world. I will suit your schedule. Whatever works for you will work for me so that you can get to know God. And so whenever he'd get a split shift, he, he'd grab a bite of lunch and come to my office, and we'd sit down and study the Bible together. I, th I really think Norm was saved. Now, it's still young. I still pray, oh, God, keep your hand on Norm. But, but, but he had no clue. But as the Word of God came into his life, a joy and an interest and a hunger developed. And it's wonderful to see lives transformed, not by them, not by us, but by the Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what it's about, yes. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. May I ask you, is the word of God dwelling in you richly? Well, you're here Sunday night. This is the cream of the Westminster crop, huh? Okay. Yeah, I don't need to berate you. It's the people that are home watching the telly that we berate. But, but is it really richly dwelling in you? Do you realize how important is every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? God has had a lot of those words written down for us and, humanly speaking, gone to a lot of trouble so we could have it to read it and study it and memorize it, and above all, meditate on it day and night. Yes, third principle, the Bible is God's Word. Jesus, when he's tempted by the devil, Jesus is God. 
He can just say, get out of here, Satan, and eventually he does. But what he does is an example for us. He quotes three very apt verses out of the book of Deuteronomy. I wonder how many of us could quote three apt verses out of the book of Deuteronomy tonight. Jesus had memorized those verses. He knew those verses, and when he was tempted, he had them ready to silence the tempter and to stay faithful and true. God said to Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm then, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the psalmist again says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. This week, I saw a neat quote from John Calvin on Facebook of all places, okay? Don't recommend that as the place to look for quotes, but anyway, John Calvin said this, a well-ordered life regulated by God's word alone through Christ alone, by faith alone, for God's glory alone, is the only answer to our anxiety. Uh, Nobody here is ever anxious about anything, are we? Well, Calvin has an antidote for you. It's God's Word. Ordering your life according to the very Word of God. Our Lord Jesus says... You are made in the image of God. You are a body, but you're not just a body. You are a soul and a body. You are a spirit and a body. And the most important part of you, the body is very important, should be honored and respected and cared for. But the most important part of you is the non-material part. How well are you feeding it? How well are you exercising it? How well are you hungering to know the living, powerful Word of God to direct, to answer, to encourage, to rebuke, to lead you in the way everlasting? Praise the Lord that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death on the cross, that all who repent and believe in him could have forgiveness in life. But Christian, you're not just to be saved and a baby. You're not to be knowing it all up here and, and not living it. We're designed to be living in a way that brings glory to our God and blessing to the people who live all around us. Key to that, feeding your soul the very Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we love you. 
How thankful we are that you are not a distant God, not a God who made the world and then went off to take care of other things, but you're a God who's present right here. Thank you that, boy, way back, 3,500 years ago, you went to some pretty strong lengths to teach your covenant people a vital lesson. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you that Jesus used that quote in silencing the temptation of the evil one. Thank you that it teaches us what's really important in our lives. Thank you for the the precious treasure the Word of God is to us. Oh, may we hunger and thirst to know you, whom to know is life eternal, through knowing your holy Word. For we pray it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.